This is Venture in the South, a conversation with founders, investors, and your hosts about all things of interest to startup investing in the Southern United States. Join us to make money, have fun, and do good. Welcome to Venture in the South. This is David, and I'm here today with Paul, and we have a special short episode to follow up on the SVB failure. And so, Paul, you had a couple of things you wanted to add specifically about our portfolio and how they might be directly affected by the SVB events. Yes, thanks, David. I want to say you did an admirable job walking through the details of all the various banking ratios and the causes of a bank failure. Thank you for, for jumping down that rabbit hole. You did say a couple of things in the episode that, that caught my attention. So I wanted to chat a bit about them, uh, particularly related to what has been a pretty crazy weekend at Venture South 2, digging into the impact of this kind of thing. You thought, given that Silicon Valley Bank was mostly Silicon Valley, there wouldn't be too much of an impact in the Southeast because we didn't fund very many companies here. And broadly speaking, I think that's true. Although I will say there's perhaps more companies with money at Silicon Valley Bank in the Southeast than you would have thought. We went through our portfolio looking at who we had money to and then getting in touch with all the companies we thought might have some exposure to SVB. And it turns out about 60-something live portfolio companies, about 10 either had money and got it out in time or still had money at Silicon Valley Bank when it was closed on Friday. So 10 out of 60 is a you know, decent percentage of market share for a bank in the space. Yeah, so that's about 15%. Yeah, there's a pretty decent amount of potential exposure for deposits in those these early stage companies, remember. So we're not talking about vast amounts of money compared to you know big West Coast BC funds, but close to $30 million in deposits were at those banks. All of those portfolio companies were at Silicon Valley Bank. So a decent amount of exposure. Certainly, we felt that that was a you know, pretty significant amount of potential problem. So that's maybe some impact of the immediate or some size of immediate impact. Obviously, the immediate impact wasn't they lost all their money immediately. The first part of that was insured. And then on Sunday evening, it seems like all of that money will at least eventually be coming back to the portfolio companies whole. So hopefully no real repercussions from companies coming out of business. But until that was certain, still something to worry about. The immediate concern, I think, for most of our portfolio companies was, can you make payroll with the very limited amount of funds that you now have available to you somewhere else if all your money was in, in SVB? And that was a concern across the industry. So significant amount of concern and worry over the weekend. Hopefully that has gone away now. Pretty instructive lesson, I think, for a lot of people that uh, diversification is is important. So what do you think, these, these six or 10 portfolio companies that are invested in SVB, what do you think they should do going forward specifically? Well, I think they should put their money in a variety of places. I think that's the key lesson that everybody took away from this. SVB have been a very good partner to a lot of startups. You mentioned they, you know, deposits from half the VC funded companies were there. So they were an instrumental part of the VC uh, early stage ecosystem and have been a great partner until they weren't or until people <laughs> decided they suddenly weren't. Uh, and so that's a bit of a shame, but I think it is important, even if you know you get good deals on particular terms or you have a supportive partner, just to be realistic that you know, everybody has challenges and you don't want to lose millions of dollars from something that is an avoidable mistake. So diversification across you know, treasury functions, trust banks is, you know, even more top of mind than it has been in the past. Particularly unfortunate scenario is when you've just been funded. And there are a couple of cases where we had just wired funds and not, not the day before, but, you know, 
weeks before to those companies. So in one case, a material amount of money from a large follow-on round. And so, you know, dealing with that quickly may not have been top of the to-do list. Yeah. So overall, I definitely agree with your takeaways at the end of that episode. If people had the patience to get through the ratios, that the, the nuggets of wisdom at the end were, were very useful and immediately applicable to the venture out portfolio. I'd also say this is probably not just a Silicon Valley bank problem. There are other regional sort of imitators of Silicon Valley Bank. I won't name any names, although one of them also failed on Sunday in New York. That was still a pretty big, big one. But there are others that offer comparable kinds of services and, and encouragement to the entrepreneur ecosystem. So as useful and helpful as those partners are, I would still say whoever you bank with, even if they're too big to fail, whoever you bank with, you should pay attention to this. Venture in the South is brought to you in part by the Rolling South Fund, offering single company SPVs, quarterly rolling funds of two to three startups, and a traditional fund of approximately 20 startups with five to six follow-ons. We're focused on high quality diligence and high value startups in the Southern United States with tax advantaged exits. Invest alongside us at rollingsouth.vc. Yeah, I think there's really two real action points following this episode with SVB. One is regulatory and the other is founders. So the regulatory side, they, they have some work to do in terms of the way they monitor bank financial stability. So they 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 were missing some things that, you know, I don't think you can fault them for that because re- retrospective vision is always clearer than looking forward. So, but but now they know that these unique banks like SVB that have a very homogeneous clientele that's unique and they have a high, very high percentage of accounts that exceed the insurance threshold and they all have similar behavior characteristics. So if something happens in the ecosystem, they all respond in a similar way. So there's crowd behavior. So they, they need to account for that in addition to some of these things on the balance sheet that are clearly messed up, like par value for long-term investments on the balance sheet when the, the actual value is maybe 80% or 70% of the par value. That's just absurd. And then on the founder side, you know, they, they really have to scrutinize their treasury functions better. You also mentioned something about the potential implications of this on funding of startups in the Southeast. So I wanted to maybe challenge you a little bit on that. I don't think there's going to be much of an impact. Oh, I actually think it'll be favorable. You do? I do, because okay. I think it's it's going to underscore the value of diversity and bring to the fore the idea that, hey, you know, maybe we should be not only using financial institutions that are outside of Silicon Valley, but maybe we ought to be looking more at investments outside of Silicon Valley to diversify our risk. Could be. Yeah. I was thinking from a more of a Southeastern perspective, if I'm not already an investor in early stage companies, this doesn't make it more likely that I want to invest in early stage companies, just given the, the challenges of a, of a tech specific bank. Well, that's fair. Although there was a great editorial in the Wall Street Journal today about how Investors really don't have great options now because the public equity markets are in the dumpster and (laughs) bonds are in the dumpster. And so what do you do? The writer of the editorial was making the case, maybe maybe now is the time to invest in alternative assets more than any other time because conventional assets are not doing well. I like it. That's the story I can get behind. 
we're the only asset class that's not in the dumpster. So come invest in early stage companies. I like it. I mean, it's not like we're doing well because our, our issue isn't valuation. It's that there's no exit. There is a, a downward trend on investment. So the amount of money available for investment is clearly less than it was 18 months ago. But on the other hand, it seems likely to me that there's going to be a rush of IPOs and similar type exits in the next 18 months because there's pent up demand for these things from various sources of cash that have the cash on their balance sheet, but they don't want to deploy it because the market's not very good. And so at some point, they're going to deploy that money and they're going to buy startups and startups are going to IPO and 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 so on. Like, I mean, an example is Instacart. I mean, they have a IPO in their pocket for 24 months that they can pull the trigger on any time. And they've just reported a very strong quarter and a very strong year in 2022 in Q4. And so they're looking pretty good after going decreasing their valuation three times in 2022. They're, I think, likely to IPO in the second quarter of 23, probably for the range of 30 billion or so, which is about three times what their last valuation was. Great. Well, on that optimistic note, we'll have our discussion about banking failures and back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening. If you like the pod, please rate us and give us a two-sentence review. Venture in the South is supported by the Rolling South Fund and Venture Carolina, a nonprofit focused on investor education.